0: good stuff good to have you here those of you that joined us here those of you that are watching via live stream again if you'd like to text us uh, your response you can chat with us engage with us send us your prayer requests you can do that either in the chat window of your device there in the live stream content or text us at 720 878-3323 you good you good you good? <laughs> now, you, you good? I, I got people saying, <laughs> we're good. That's, I'm, I've actually started my message now, because <laughs> see, when you say that, that's just a very casual way of saying, how are you? Right? Similar to, are you well? I was listening to a song where The lyrics said, I'm sick of trying to be good. Robert Taibbi, psychologist and therapist, wrote an article on the dangers of being nice. He said, There's a downside, actually, to being the good guy. Here were a couple of his points. Number one, people who are always the nice guy, always trying to be good, right? Internalize everything so much that they hold in negative emotions. And this often results in depression and anxiety and addiction. He also said that one of the other things that happens for the good guy, the guy that's always addicted to trying to be good is there's a breaking point at which the frustration and the exhaustion of tending to every idea and everything you say and everything you think and it's gonna backfire on you at some point. You're going to act out, periodically acting out in ways that or embarrassing sometimes, and that you didn't mean to act out. Another thing that can happen for the good guy, the guy who's always trying to be good, is there's a lot of self-criticism, a lot of resentment that happens. I'm going to quote directly from this psychologist for a moment, quote, this person, the person who's always trying to be good, who's addicted to self-effort, They think to themselves constantly, quote, it's your fault. You should have known better. You should have done something that caused the other person to act differently than the way that they did. Though you really have no idea why they acted that way. You have this critical scolding drill sergeant parent voice coming at you all the time, looking over your shoulder, wagging its finger, and I thought this Piece of his advice was quite insightful. A buildup of resentment and self criticism can often fuel the acting out, but sometimes it's just a slow, ever present simmer that you internalize with everything else. The resentment comes because your niceness also comes with expectations that others will appreciate your martyrish efforts or will follow your lead and be like you, always putting others first, stepping up, etc., cetera, and expecting them to realize what you need and give it to you, even though you never say what those needs are. Personally, I believe that this addiction to being nice and this addiction to being good is at the heart of some of the acting out that's happened with the violence that's in our society and those who have become shooters and gone into situations where they've taken a weapon of mass destruction and killed scores of individuals they're acting out now there's a lot of mental health issues behind those i don't i don't mean to minimize that and i don't i don't mean to Simplify something that's a very delicate and difficult thing to diagnose and to understand and that needs treatment and that needs professional intervention and care. But I know that mixed into that equation is an addiction to being good and thinking right. I spent years as a teenager involved in a local church that had a system of leadership called shepherding. It was very heavy-handed. It was into your personal life. It was dictatorial. It was manipulative. And it caused an enormous amount of fear among all of those who were involved. Now this was not just a small little group meeting in a home. This was one of Denver's mega churches at the time. You understand this was 30 years ago. Plus, yeah, 40 years ago my wife reminds me. <clears throat> yeah, a thousand people, easily a thousand people in the congregation with 200 in the choir. I mean, it was just going and blowing and Pentecostal, charismatic, uh, just, you know, it was, a, it was a happening church. But unfortunately, they had gotten connected with this group out of Florida, uh, infamously named and known as the Florida Five. Now I'm going to call names because these individuals have since, repented of this, but and publicly done so. but Derek Prince, who's since passed away. Don Basham. Um, uh, I said, Derek Prince, Don Basham, um, Bob, um, um, oh goodness, I'm forgetting names. I, I should have written them down I uh, have known these individuals so, so well and followed their teaching, but it, w- it was a group of five individuals who came up with this system of leadership that in simplicity said this, that elders of the church who are assigned and committed to the pastor and have had hands laid on them to receive his anointing are to be assigned portions of the church. You divvy up the church by whatever means, either numerically or Uh, 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 By geographically, and everybody in the church comes under one of those elders, and that elder is responsible for you, responsible for everything from where do you buy groceries, to who you marry, to your, you know, spiritual life, are you living a holy life, so on and so forth. And so it became this watch system, and it became a very destructive and punitive and if you weren't living right, then you would be approached and uh, y- your sin would be dealt with and pointed out. Uh, if, if you wanted to buy a vehicle, you didn't dare go out and buy a vehicle on your own. You had to go get a witness from your elder. Again, this was somebody assigned to you. Oh my goodness, I, I know that at least for some of you, this must sound like, oh my gosh, this is off the wall. This is cultish. Yes, it was. I know that now. I didn't know it then. But through the years as I suffered under this system of leadership, growing in the Lord, even going to Bible school under their hands, I became more and more aware in Jesus that this sort of shepherding This caring for the flock was heavy-handed, manipulative, and not right. And I began to listen to somebody on the radio, Dr. Walter Martin, who was famous for his work on the cults. Kingdom of the cults was the book that he wrote. And uh, in that book, he went through each of the what were considered cults at the time, who were religious but didn't teach and preach Jesus and had aberrant theology. And doctrine. As I would listen to him on his radio broadcast, people would call in with questions, and some of those had to do with heavy-handed, manipulative leadership in churches. And boy, it was so freeing for me, but it was scary as well because I dared to listen, dared to open my mind that there could be, possibly, something wrong with what I was under and experiencing. Dare I test it? <laughs> I was in far too much fear that I would lose out with God, that I would lose my faith, that I would be condemned, that Jesus would leave me, that I would be brought before the elders in the church and uh, demonized. I, I mean, it, it really it was a real, real, real thing. And then I met my wife, Nina, there and we got married there. And I just want to say a word about that. What should have been one of the highlights and delights of anybody's life, their marriage, was for me, and, and because of the nature of what was going on, one of the darkest times. Not because of Nina, but because of how that whole thing was manipulated. You had to get married there. The person that you married had to be part of the church. They did it on a particular evening, usually Fridays but that had to be approved. The time had to be approved. The things that you wore had to be approved. Who you had in the wedding had to be approved. Of course, that was the care, that was the eldering, that was the shepherding of this thing. Very fear-based. And so here I am, a young man, not even, I'm still 19 and I begin to date this gal who's five years older than me. I had to go get that checked with the elders then we were asked to separate and not see each other for a period of time to prove that it was the will of the Lord. And that, that was a good thing at that time, really, in our lives. But it, it was just more of the same. And then the actual wedding, I, I got to have individuals that I asked to come along. But I, I, <laughs> I remember the pastor's wife coming to me the day before the wedding and saying, your hair is too long, you need to get a haircut. You see, beards weren't approved. The length of your hair had to be approved. The length of your dresses and your pants and everything. I mean, it was just craziness. And so everything I said and who I was around and who my friends were, and it was just very heavy-handed. So what should have been a delight and easy and dancing, and I, I now, if I were to get married today, I, I'd have a party for a wedding. I mean, we we would have some alcohol, okay? I, and I'm not a drinker. I don't even care for alcohol, but I wouldn't say no. You can't have alcohol at your wedding. We'd dance. We'd have a dance floor. We'd get down. <laughs> and boy, that was not allowed. And oh my goodness, just so many things about this. Now, coupled with Walter Martin, this radio broadcaster, and my wife, my new wife, getting married, and her being even younger in the Lord than I was, she got saved there at that church. I began to get enough courage to leave. I began to get enough courage to go and challenge this thing and let the pastor know, and of course you had to get this approved too, and of course it wasn't approved, but I had enough respect for systems that I went and we met with the pastor and let him know we were going to leave. And we did. And there were a lot of tears and there's a lot of crying and there was a lot of fear and dark nights and wondering whether or not you know Jesus would continue to be in our lives and we were losing all of our friends and because if you left that church, you were ostracized, you were out, you lost all your friends. And I was in business, I had a photography business with a partner who went to that church and who did not share my convictions and who cut me off when, when we left. And we had to just fold the business and I took the name and I, I don't wanna go on and on needlessly. But here's my point this years and years of fear-based performance-based gotta be good came into every fiber of my being and all of my life and it ran me completely and though i was able to get the courage to leave and nina come with me and we started going to a completely different kind of church the theology of punishment Obedience tied to blessing, or blessing tied to obedience, and eternal judgment was ingrained. It had its tentacles in me. So I have spent literally decades dealing with the addiction to self-effort, self-approving, your approval, somebody's approval, wondering if it was okay, Wondering if I was good enough. That inner voice that the psychologist talked about, Taibbi, Dr. Taibbi, that that was me. That was my voice, heavy handed voice, constantly criticizing. And I can tell you that now being on this side of all of that, there's a freedom and there's a joy in Jesus Christ and to love people, to be with people, and to be who I am. Here's what the scripture says, Ephesians chapter two and verse 10. We are as workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I used to read that scripture and come under condemnation, wondering whether my works were good enough. And it doesn't have anything to do with that. Here's the mirror translation from brother uh, Francois Dutois, who is a Greek and Hebrew scholar. Watch this. We are engineered by his design. He molded and manufactured us in Christ. We are his workmanship, his poetry. We are fully fit to do good, equipped to give attractive evidence of his likeness in everything we do. I now understand that everything I do and just being me and just living my life is actually evidence of Christ. He designed that. He manufactured me the way I am and the thoughts that I have. I am his workmanship. So for me to do good works now looks like this. I just live my life. My works are good because he is good. And I'm in him, and he's in me, and he designed me. And so I, don't, I have stopped worrying about it. Francois in his Bible notes about this verse says, God finds inspired expression of Christ in us. The Greek word for workmanship is poema. God has done everything possible to find spontaneous and effortless expression of his character in us, in our everyday lifestyle. God finds pleasure in your everyday lifestyle. You don't need to check it with everybody. You don't need everybody's approval. And that self-condemning voice that's constantly talking to you, let's get rid of it, let's stand up to it, and let's believe what Paul wrote after he came to understand That he was a new creation in Jesus and that Jesus, God incarnate human flesh, had come into him and made him new. You see, the strength of sin is the law. That constant self-awareness that you're not good enough actually becomes the strength against you to keep doing what you don't want to do. When you get rid of that self-talk that constantly reminds you that you're not good enough, that you don't measure up, that, there's, that, that good works, you haven't, you haven't done enough, all right, performance. When you get rid of that, then you begin to feel the freedom from sin. See, I can't get rid of quote sin or doing things that are not healthy for me when I am constantly reminding myself I'm not good enough. The strength of sin, Paul said, is the law. Constantly reminding yourself that you're not good enough, that you don't measure up, that there's more you have to do, actually strengthens the desires and habits you're trying to give up. He said it this way in his letter to another church called the Corinthian Church. Second Corinthians is the letter, chapter five. In verse 17, here's what Paul writes to that church. Now in the light of your co-inclusion in Jesus's death and resurrection, whoever you thought you were before, in Christ you are a brand new person. The old ways of seeing yourself and everyone else are over. Acquaint yourself with the new. Now, in his footnotes, watch. Just imagine this. Whoever a person was as a Jew, a Greek, a slave, a free man, a Zulu, a British, an Indian, a Muslim, an American, Chinese, Japanese, Congolese is now dead and gone. They all died when Jesus died. Remember, we are not talking law language here. The if in if anyone is in Christ is not a condition, it's a conclusion of the revelation of the gospel. Now, get that. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Again, I used to condemn myself. I'm not enough in Christ. I'm not enough. I'm not acting good enough. I'm not obeying the scriptures enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not reading my Bible. So if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Well, I'm not acting enough like a new creature because I'm not enough in Christ, and it doesn't even mean that. The if any man is in Christ is not a condition. It's a conclusion. All of humanity is in Christ because of what Paul says in verses 14 and 15 of that same chapter. Don't have time to go into it. But when he says, therefore, if any, he's talking about the previous verses, therefore. He didn't say, if any man is in Christ, as a condition. He said, therefore, if any man is in Christ. In other words, verse 14 and 15 have context. And in those verses, he says, the entire world died with Jesus. The entire world, in other words, humanity, humanity has risen with him. Mm. Christian growth does not happen by first behaving better, but by believing differently and with awareness of who God made you to be in Christ. Only then can we end the addiction, to self-effort. I'm gonna throw this open for questions now. Either here, and we had a little bit of a, we had a snow today, we had overnight, we had people out sick, we have people with a broken car that called, said my family can't be there. You know, we, we've got car problems, all kinds of different things. So I'm relying on you out here in our live stream audience to give me some feedback let me hear what's going on what have you heard what kind of questions do you have that we could entertain text them or put them in the chat all right we're monitoring the chat i'm looking at it nina's looking at it. she's looking at the text that you're sending as well 720 878 3323 text us chat with us right now nino would you like to come on and join me up here and I will yield my chair to you. Did you see anything already while I was sharing that you wanted to point out from the
1: you know this, uh, did I get an on it? It'll come on. Okay. Uh, this is amazing, this thing that Ralph said that Plato wanted the aristocrats to run Athens again uh, because only the aristocrats knew what was perfect and told the rest when to breathe, go to bed, and get up. There's been too much Plato in the church. Too much Plato in the church. Is that so? I, I, this is a sincere question. Um, you know, the things we've heard about communism um, uh, for, uh, I guess I've heard it mostly about Russia or China. So is it that kind of same dominance there as, is it kind of a Plato-like, is communism kind of a Plato-like thing? where this is the way you have to do it and we're watching over you and if you don't do it this way we're arresting you you're going to prison is that similar similar I don't I don't know that answer
0: we'll wait for your response in the chat there Kathy is sharing here Kathy and Jack said they ran she ran into an, a nun in a store who with total disdain Chew her out, chewed her out in public. <laughs> a total disappoint to, a disappointment to her family, because God.
1: Okay, because and God, be, excuse me, mm-hmm. that she was. In other words, he, the nun was saying to her that they, she was a total disappointment to her family and, and to God. God because she had left her church.
0: Can you imagine in a public place? Being chewed out for leaving a church, and being told you were a total disappointment to God and your family.
1: Well, you know, we we didn't do that, but we used to be close. We used to believe that. We used to be much closer, much closer to that, much more controlling, because we thought we we thought it was the right way. We thought was modeled for right. That's what was modeled for right, right. And that's what we thought we were supposed to do to help people come back to the truth, you know, and. I'm very sorry for, to all the people we did that with. And
0: I think tied to that was we were afraid they were going to lose their blessing. They were go- that we were afraid that they weren't experiencing God's bless bl- best by having
1: left. I think that was the I think that was indeed part of our heart, but at the same time now in retrospect, you can see how egoistic this is. Totally. Totally egoistic. Totally I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, There's another word that I'm trying to say besides egoistic, but where you're, it's arrogant, totally arrogant to to, to think that I am right and you are wrong. This judgment thing is so insidious. And yes, and it's still, you know as much as we're trying to let go of judgment, I mean, I find myself judging way too frequently. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, Just real quick, I'll, I'll go back to where it sort of began in terms of culturally our understanding. In Genesis, the tree, Adam and Eve told they could not eat of it. And what was that tree called? The knowledge of good and evil. In other words, judgment, you determining what is right and wrong. Adam and Eve were never designed to determine what was right and wrong. They were to just live in relationship with the father. So when you combine a society like we are, who thinks we know what is better and what's right and what's wrong, we're steeped in that. Then you throw religion into that and you have and a you call God. It, you
1: call it God. This they, is what God wants. You have a
0: God who's punitive. Mm-hmm. You have a God who's watching to see if you measure up to a, um, oh, there's a word, a constitution, okay? They see the Bible as a constitution. And so moral values, the Bible all is about moral values and getting us to come, correct our behavior and come to a holy God. And boy, has it taken years for us to deconstruct from that understanding of God and the precious word of God known as the Bible or the Bible (laughs) known as the word of God. We actually don't believe the Bible is the word of God. It is a word of God. Jesus is the word of God. I put a quote out recently on Facebook of uh, CS Lewis and said, how true is this? Because CS Lewis said, that the Bible is not he's not the only one. But he said in this quote that the Bible is not the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. But the Bible, when correctly read and taught by helpful teachers, will lead us to the word of God, will lead us to Jesus. I posted that and said, amen. Yeah, that even C.S. Lewis one, one of the added best.
1: some credibility to it. So
0: I mean, you know, this is not like, yeah, it's not friend.
1: Okay. So Jeff just said uh, what we were just talking about a minute ago, he said, he, he put it in a very simple way, my way or the highway. My way or the highway. <laughs> uh, Linda, I really appreciate what you said here, uh, judgment, fear, and condemnation is what sent me on the search for Jesus. So you certainly didn't want to walk into a church where you got more judgment, fear, and condemnation. You need, exactly. You needed the real Jesus. And thank you, Ralph, for your answer here to my question. So since I asked it and I don't know, he said about what communism is not at all like Plato, but real socialism is, what the USSR called the last step before communism. Plato did not want it as a step before utopia, but as the true state. Real socialism was the rule of the party to teach people to become true communists with all being equal. And see, I like that with all being equal part. A state that never was reached though. The last dialectic step just not, did not materialize, which would have been that everybody was equal and everybody got equal benefits. I see the difference now between what Plato did and what socialism would do. See,
0: okay. there's truth in that because that's mm-hmm. how the community in the book of Acts began, is sharing yeah. everything. Right, right, sharing you everything. Know, right. That There's nothing ungodly about that.
1: No, no, there's not. As a matter of fact, it's a really good thing. Yes. It talks about in Corinthians about, I give what I have to the one who doesn't have, and they can give me what they have that I don't have, and it's an equal sharing. Now that. There would be some utopia in that. <laughs> some real love. Anybody else have some comments they want to make and drop it in on the um, Facebook chat or to text7208783323 And
0: also at this time because we're pre- preparing to wind down our, our service and um, please. Uh, be sending us your prayer requests, if there's anything you want us to pray about this morning. Uh, be getting that to us in the chat window or via the text.
1: Yeah, I've already got a, pra- a praise report from Cindy uh, Van and that you, I don't remember exactly how we prayed about it, but she had lost her work at the end of the year and now they've re-upped her and she's got work again, so that's a wow. awesome. Praise God! Relief. Amen. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for your provision. Another praise report is your back is getting a lot better.
0: Yes, it's getting measurably better. So uh, I had a number of you know that I had uh, I was in physical therapy therapy for a compressed disc, and um, that was really helping. And the sciatic pain was all but relieved, and so forth. But then I couldn't. I had finished that routine, uh, that regiment, and um, it was a 30-minute drive one way to get there, number one, and number two, the expense of it was quite heavy, but I needed maintenance. This week, I found a place that's five, six, seven minutes from my house, and they do all the same things, and I've already been in, and uh, they're just really great people. I like the whole thing even better and uh, it's far cheaper
1: hallelujah for that (laughs) yes
0: and and already just this week i have had much better results in my lower back and have been without pain for most of those days especially compared to the previous week or two where i was in between my last appointments and now so the thing is working thank you for your prayers it's being strengthened i've re-engaged by the way Uh, with my coach who I had hired just before finding this out in x-rays that I had this compressed disc I had engaged with a personal trainer and so I'm back with him now and uh, we're working on strengthening those very muscles and so forth so things are great and thank you for listening to me go on (laughs)
1: <laughs> hey, Ralph, you know, uh, we are very familiar with this that you just wrote. While I ne- he, Ralph says, while I never was part of the shepherding movement, I found a lot of the same in Word of Faith and the Apostolic Movement, just renaming and reframing the same things. Yeah, well, we, we did were too. a part of all three of those, yeah. and um, so it was lesser, uh, l- uh, there was a lesser amount of the control and word of faith and apostolic, but it was definitely, definitely there. Uh, You know, uh, this having to go ask permission, of course, we were quite young when we were in the shepherding movement, which only added to the having to go ask for permission to do this, that, or the other. Um, That might have added some to it. You know, and my elders were much more grace-filled than your elders, and so I didn't even have to go ask a lot of things back then, but it was all around us.
0: Well, you back. were better than me.
1: That was it, so I didn't need as much oversight. We Yes, let's remember that. No. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we total, I totally agree, totally agree, Ralph. We're moving further and further and okay. further away from all that. Prayer
0: requests, if you have any, uh, text them, 720 3323